0: Well, it's great to be with you guys tonight. It's been a little while, huh? Man, I am so excited to be with you guys and uh, so thankful to be able to share this pulpit. It's such an honor um, to be here. Um, I feel extremely inhibited. Um, You guys know me, so I I, want to warn you, I probably will fall off the stage tonight. I don't want any of you to think I believe in being slain in the Spirit, but it could happen tonight. Um, So if all of a sudden I'm gone, just know I'm still with you in spirit. Uh, Truly, it's great to be with you um, and so thankful. Most of you know I'm now the lead pastor at Coast Hills Church in Elisa Viejo. In fact, some of you have come down and visit us down there and it's just been so great to see you. Um, You know Calvary Chapel South Bay has been Uh, home church for me since we landed here in California. And uh, it's always, always great to be back with you. In fact, our church is partnering with Calvary Chapel South Bay with ARC, uh, actively reaching kids as we get ready to Uh, work with uh, churches in our inner cities and send uh, kids that would never have the opportunity to be able to go on a camp experience, to go up on the mountain and be able to enjoy that camp experience for a few days and be able to come in contact with Jesus Christ. And so our church and uh, Calvary Chapel South Bay and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa have all teamed up to accomplish this, and i 'm just grateful for uh, you guys and what you 're doing in order to make that happen, and so uh, we 're still connected because we 're still the family of God, and we 're doing great, great things man i 'm going to run into this, I promise you <laughs> i, I 'm wanting to do this the whole time i 'm up here. Hey, listen we 're going to be in a couple places of scripture why don 't you open your Bible to second Samuel second Samuel chapter twenty four 2 Samuel chapter 24, you're also going to want to open your Bible to Second Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you find yourself in those two places, at least that will be a good place for us to start together. Once again, 2 Samuel chapter 24 and 2 Corinthians chapter 7, would you stand with me as we honor God and his word as I read our scripture this evening? As we read our scripture this evening. So would you please stand with me? And I know I asked you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. Would you flip over a page for our scripture reading to Second Samuel chapter 22? I will start reading from verse 2. Second Samuel 22, I'll start reading from verse 2. Man, it's good to see you guys. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You saved me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so shall I be saved from my enemies. In troubled times, Lord, this is a psalm of David to memorize. You are my rock. You are my refuge. When I think of those in South Florida, the Bahamas, Virgin Islands, Christians that were praying here and there, When those winds blew, you were still the rock and you are the refuge. And no matter what kind of winds blow in our life, there's a truth found in this scripture that you are a deliverer and you save. So, Lord, I pray that no matter what comes our way, you'd enable us to make the right choices and most importantly, to trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can have your seat. 2 Samuel 24, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I have a question for you all. Have you ever made a decision that you regret? Anyone? Okay, I would like to see a raise of hands. How many of you... Wow, you guys are much more honest than I was hoping you to be. Now, some of you over here didn't raise your hand. So I'm assuming that you're the perfect people. But I'm going to ask one more time. How many of you have made a decision that you regret? Now, everyone look over here and let's see what happens. Oh, I got a guy in the back. He's got both hands up. He made a decision yesterday. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? You bought something and you just have to return it, right? My cousin is banned from shopping at Walmart. (laughs) She is on a national list of people that have returned things one too many times. And I tell her all the time, Gina, you have a problem. You cannot continue to buy things. And she goes, but then I walk out of the store. I feel like, why did I buy this? I said, give me your wallet. (laughs) You see, I don't know about you, but I've made some decisions that I regret in my life. Eight years old. My next door neighbor had a 1966 convertible Corvette. Fire engine red. He had decaled it with a picture of his daughter on the hood of the car. And we decided, the boys in the neighborhood, that, well, one day it was parked outside and we all liked to look at this car, but we wanted to bless our neighbor. So we got buckets, we got Comet, and we got scrub brushes. And we were going to make this Corvette sparkle. So we poured the water on the Corvette and we scrubbed it until her picture was right off of it. (laughs) We scrubbed it completely squeaky clean that when it dried, you could see, well, the scratch marks from the comet on the uh, vehicle from the scrub brushes. Let me tell you, I regretted that decision. (laughs) That was a bad decision. But the funny thing about decisions is once you make them, now you have to deal with it. Once you make a bad decision, now you're in the middle of it. Now, how many of you have ever been in that place where now I know I've made this bad decision and what am I going to do about it? Raise your hands. Now, if you're thinking about your marriage, you have a huge problem. We're doing a marriage retreat in a couple of months. I want you to come. So I hope you're not thinking about your marriage. A wife is going, "That's me. He's talking to me." No, I hope not. That's not the case. But that's where David's at. David, in this chapter, has made a bad decision. And David, what are you going to do? Now, I need you guys to pay attention because listen, when I asked you how many of you made bad decision, it's a common plight of the human being. We will all, and we all have to make decisions each and every day. What are we going to do when we make bad decisions? And so this is a story that we need to pay attention to because there's going to be a potential one day that you'll make a bad decision, but maybe this will prevent you from making bad decisions. Take a look at Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. Again, and I want you to circle that word. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now, go throughout all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people that I may know the number of the people. Again, now I need to fill you in. The children of Israel have been naughty. They've made a bunch of bad decisions. In fact, uh, in this last section of 2 Samuel, it is known as uh, uh, basically the the end section from Second Samuel chapter 21 through chapter 24. There in chapter 21, we learn that God put a three-year famine on the land because of the sins of Saul. Saul had made a decision to kill some of the Gibeonites, and the Gibeonites were in a special covenant and a special pact with the people of God. And so Saul, you shouldn't have done that. And so there was a three-year famine. Some people now say, okay, well, here's the problem. There is another situation where the children of Israel have angered the Lord again. And scholars say it's most likely because they were rebellious. They were idolatrous. They were sacrificing on high places. And even with this great King David, they were giving credit to someone other than God. But what I love about Scripture is the Bible doesn't actually tell us why the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. All we know is, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. And you know what I love about that? It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Love covers a multitude of sins you see god is not in the business of airing your dirty laundry now how many of you would like for the screen right now to have your first name and last name and start listing all of the sins you did today who wants that anyone wow how the room got quiet You mean there's a bunch of sinners in this room? Huh? Well, here's the deal. I don't want my name up here. I don't want you to know we did a marriage retreat the other day. And my wife and I were on vacation for two weeks. We hadn't argued in two solid weeks. We're on our way Saturday morning to go and minister to couples. I tell her, can you believe we've not had strong fellowship in two weeks? And then she said something. And it happened. And I got in front of the marriage retreat and I said, I who stand before you am a sinner. I was going to tell you how we had not been in an argument in two weeks. And lo and behold, just in a drive on the way here, And my wife looked at me and she goes, thank God you're confessing. (laughs) Who wants their sin posted? Aren't you glad we have a God that loves us so much that he doesn't air our dirty laundry to everyone? He wants to get our attention. And what I love about this particular area of Scripture, God is going to reveal to us the impact of sin so that he can display the magnitude of his love. But he doesn't tell us what angered him. You see, sin has allowed the enemy to bring accusation. Much in the same way when Joshua, the high priest, was standing in front of God there in the book of uh, Zechariah and he had these dirty clothes on him representing the sins of Israel and the, uh, the enemy is looking at the Joshua, the high priest, and saying, look at him, he's dirty. And God says, take those garments off and put on him clean garments because that is our God. But when we sin, we allow the enemy to bring reproach upon us and to bring reproach upon his church. Oh, I'll never forget, I was a lifeguard in Fort Lauderdale Beach, and while I was there, we were part of a lifeguard competition where we would row out a mile, and then I would jump out the bow of the boat, and I would swim in. It was called a row swim. Well, you had to practice rowing, and I didn't really row that much because I had to keep my energy for the swim in. Well, lo and behold, as we were practicing rowing one day, the oar hit me right in the side, and out of my mouth I said something that I can't believe came out of Chet's mouth. Now, don't judge me. This was over 20 years ago, okay? I haven't said a bad word since, all right? I just turned 47 years old. Can you believe it? Wow. Wow. Only the older people clapped for me. (laughs) All the younger people are like, you are old. I know. I don't even know where I was. I'm lost in this thought. Where was I? Oh, i was rowing. Right, thank you. And out of my mouth comes this word. Well, the guy that I'm with... He stops rowing, and he goes, Borny? That's what they used to call me, Born Again. They used to call me Borny. <laughs> and he goes, Borny? Did you just say a bad word? Did a bad word just come out of your mouth? And I looked at him and I go, Bruce, it hurt. <laughs> and he goes, curses? Borny curses! <laughs> Borny curses! And right there in that moment, I allowed the enemy to bring reproach on God's kids. You see, this is what's happening. The children of Israel had sinned, and now God is allowing the enemy. Now, I know in your Bible, he is capitalized as if it's referring to God. But there is no capitalization in Hebrew. And thankfully, in First Chronicles chapter 21, we learn that this he, God allows Satan to tempt David. Because the children of Israel had brought reproach on the nation. So David wants to number the people. Now you might ask the question, what's the big deal with the census? What's the big deal with counting a bunch of people? In fact, such a big deal. If you look over on verse 10, the Bible says, as David prays, I have sinned greatly greatly david doesn't even say this when he sins with Bathsheba. he simply says i have sinned when he kills uriah he basically says i have sinned now what is such a big deal about you counting the people of israel well i'm gonna tell you what the big deal is in proverbs chapter 6 verse 17 there's a list and i want you to write that scripture down and look up that list a little bit later but in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, there's a list of things that God hates. And on the top of that list is pride. On the top of that list is pride. You see, David wanted to know how strong he was. We're going to discover in just a little a little bit later in this story that the only people that he wanted to count were the valiant men of Israel. David wanted to know, I want to know my army. I want to know how strong I am. David, well, he's looking at his son Solomon, and he's thinking to himself, wait a second. This guy's a lover. He's not a fighter. I need to make sure that my kingdom is established because who knows what kind of King Solomon is going to be. And so we need to count the valiant men. We need to learn and we need to know, is Solomon strong enough to be able to handle the enemies around him? So you know what David does? David begins to rationalize one of the first mistakes of making a bad decision. He begins to rationalize. He begins to talk to himself. And if you notice here, all throughout the first and the second Samuels, David is asking God, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I not do this? But here we see David does not inquire of the Lord. He's speaking to himself and he's asking himself, self, what do you think? Should I count the valiant men or should I not count the valiant men? What kind of decision should I make? And anytime you consult, yourself on making a, dad, a bad decision, tr- A decision. trust me, it's going to end up being a bad decision. That's why Solomon says, surround yourself with wise counsel. That's why the word of God has been given to us. That's why prayer, access to the throne of God has been given. And every and any decision we make, we should go to God And wise counsel and his word. David chooses not to. He begins to rationalize. He begins to speak to himself. Now, this is confusing to me. Go back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 22. This is very confusing to me because I need you to see something. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 22, now remember, David is very concerned about being strong. And David is very concerned about his kingdom. and David is very concerned about will Solomon be able to handle this or not. Now, this is the David that wrote this. 2 Samuel, I'm going to read it again, verse chapter 22, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My savior, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. David, what you doing counting Israel? I thought the Lord was your rock. I thought the Lord was your refuge. I thought the Lord was your deliverer. Look down with me, if you would, at verse 18. He delivered me from my strong enemy. From those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Now I know out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth, but let me say this, your actions will prove it. It's very easy at Calvary Chapel South Bay to raise your hands and sing, God is my deliverer, God is my strength, God is my refuge. Now, I know that's not how we do it these days. In the 90s, we raised our hands like this, and we kind of turned them like this, and we swayed like this. This was like how we worshiped. This was like sincere and intense. But now with Hillsong and Bethel, we do it like this. This is like... (laughs) You have to look like a dying eagle, and it's when you do this. This is really what's holy, and I want to let you know because if you don't do that, you really don't look like you're really speaking to God. Okay, so you want to practice it right when 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 Alex comes back up. You just kind of flap a little bit, just like this. Bend your knees in the back, arch your back, and just kind of flap. (laughs) You guys, I know you're laughing but like I'll travel around the country and everyone's doing this now. It's like, <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> I'm just so thankful that Jesus didn't always heal with spit because I guarantee this church may be called the first church of the Spittites. You know, it's like, <laughs> we're just that kind of people. David, what happened here? Why are you wanting to count Israel when you just said this psalm. Isn't it like us, though? We sing these songs in church, but when life hits us with a trouble or a trial or a circumstance or a cancer, all of a sudden, this changes. And now it's this. And all of a sudden, the the refuge and deliverer and strength and you're my trust, everything begins to change. David what are you doing? You just wrote this incredible Psalm just a page over, and now you want to count because you don't trust in God, because you don't think he's your deliverer? David, what has happened to your heart? A circumstance? A trial has changed you? So David's got a choice to make. David has a choice to make. And I want you to write this down. It's the first of four points. Number 1. Love is a choice. The title of our message, it's the conditions of unconditional love. The conditions of unconditional love. And the very first condition is that love is a choice. Listen to what Jesus says. If you love me, keep my Okay, South Bay, we got to work on our scripture memory. If you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to help you out, okay? If you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, this side super weak, okay? <laughs> if you love me, keep my You're getting better. Now, this side, very not good, okay? <laughs> Here's the deal. You know what else Jesus said? If you want to be my friends, do what I tell you to do. Now, what kind of friend is that? Just imagine you go over to little Johnny's house and he goes, if you don't play hide and seek today, you are not my friend. <laughs> How can Jesus say, if, if if you want to be my friend, you gotta do what I say? Because let me tell you something. He's a friend that laid down his life for you. There's no better friend. He knows what's best for you. That's why he can say that. But if, if is a choice word. If is a choice word. Love can't be forced. Love is a choice of the will. I chose to marry my wife because I loved her. Jesus chose to lay down his life because of his love for the Father and his love for you. David chose to trust himself. And we sit here and we listen to the sermons We will even sing the songs, but we've got to ask ourselves the questions, what choices are we making outside of this sanctuary? Because those choices, they actually display our kind of love. Well, unfortunately, David makes the wrong choice. Look with me, if you would, at the scripture in this choice that he makes. It's back to 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 3. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. Now listen, if you want to make right choices and you want to display your love for God, you've got to have the right people around you to help you make the right kind of choices. You've got to have the right kind of people around you to make the right kind of choices. Listen, Joab and the captains of the army all, all are all under the king. Who's going to go against the king? Who's going to tell the king you're wrong? Who's going to tell the king, listen, you better not go against what we're telling you to do? no. David chose to go to people that were under him instead of having people that were above him, counselors that he would choose to listen to. And let me tell you something. I am grateful to God that your pastor is my older brother that I speak to two, three times a week. I love that man. He's wise counsel for me. He's not afraid to say, Chet, you're wrong. He's not afraid to direct and guide. And I go to him because I'm learning the lesson from David. I don't want to just go to people that are under me. I want to go to people that are older than me and above me and have walked with the Lord a little bit longer because I want to make wise decisions. So do you have a Paul in your life? Do you have a brother or a sister that you're walking life's road with that can hold you accountable to make the kind of decisions that you need to make? But listen, I said you got to have the right people around you. Joab is the wrong person to be going to to get advice. Joab was a murderer. Joab was a compromiser. Joab wasn't walking faithfully with God. You see, we've got to surround ourselves with people that are walking wholeheartedly with God. People that are making wise choices. And if you look at your friends, you're looking at a reflection of yourself. And so we've got to surround ourselves with the right people to make those right kind of choices. And the question that I have for you, are you the right kind of person for someone to come to you in order to make a wise decision? Joab was a compromiser. i tell you how it affects. Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, he always wasn't living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, he looked at the land, and because it looked so great and so big, he said to Abraham, I want this land. This land is my land. That land is your land, okay? So he chose the best of the land. Abraham let him go. So Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says he put his tent on the outside. Then the Bible says he went inside. Then the Bible says that he was sitting at the city gate. So he went from outside of Sodom into Sodom. And now he is part of the leadership of Sodom. He's living in compromise. And when God comes on the scene and says, I'm destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of you are nervous because I'm walking next to the steps. When he came to Sodom and Gomorrah and said, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot went to his sons-in-law. And he says, we've got to get out of here. Because God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what his sons-in-laws did? They laughed at him. He had lived a life so much of compromise that here is Lot trying to rescue now his family, and they refuse to listen to him because of his life of compromise. If you don't make choices that honor God, you're not going to surround yourself with people that honor God. And when you go to make wise choices, you won't be able to make that choice because you've not surrounded yourselves with the people that will help you make those choices. Verse 5. They crossed over the Jordan and camped in Aurora on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and toward Jazzer. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tatim-Hadshi, and they came to Danjan and around to Sidon. They came to the stronghold of Tyre and to the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Then they went out to south Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months And twenty days. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were, listen, in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew their sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Nine months and twenty days. Nine months and twenty days the Lord allowed this prideful act to continue. Number 2 if you're taking note I want you to write it down it's because love is patient love is patient in fact in describing love the very first word that's used in the definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 love is patient The very definition of love, where it begins in the fact that it's patient. When God is describing himself in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, he says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering. I'm a patient God. Because I'm a God of love, I am a God who is patient. And I'm very thankful that God is patient. Because the psalmist tells us in Psalm 103, verse 10 that God does not deal with us according to as what our sins deserve. Somebody should say amen. Amen. With a little bit more like happiness than that. Thank you. (laughs) He doesn't deal with us as to what our sins deserve. Do you realize that our sins deserve automatic punishment and automatic death? Do you realize that the moment that you sin, you deserve and deserve to die? But God is patient. How many of you have been saved in the last five years? Raise your hand. Okay, last five years. Look at the hands that are up. Last five years, you've been saved the last five years. How, of those that just raise your hands, how many of you are grateful that Jesus didn't come six years ago? Now, let me tell you this. For those of you that are not saved, could you please get saved so that Jesus can come? Because he's patient, he's waiting on you. He's patient. And I'm very grateful for those of you that have been saved in the last year that he didn't come two years ago. I'm very grateful for those of you that got saved this past weekend. He didn't come two weekends ago. He's a patient God. That's who he is. And his patience, his patience leads us to repentance. We sang it today. The Bible says that the love of God appeared to us in Titus chapter 3. And his goodness and his kindness led us to repentance. God didn't stand behind a pulpit and go, you better repent, you sinner. <laughs> Have you ever watched some of the like teleevangelists? And I do it all the time. I turn the sound off and I just watch them. And they're like this. <laughs> it's like, you look evil. Right? But it's the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The problem is some of us have a hard head. Some of us have a hard head. And God has to do something to get our attention. That's exactly what happens. Would you take a look at verse 10? And David's heart condemned him. After he'd numbered the people. Now stop there if you would for a moment. You can write it in your notes a little bit and look it up later. This same story is in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 verse 7. The Bible said this thing that David did displeased the Lord. So he struck Israel. Now I don't know what God did. But he got David's attention. He struck Israel. And thankfully, David's heart is still a heart that's after God. And he realizes God is trying to get my attention. Do you know what Hurricane Irma did to the Bahamas? Now, I'm from the Bahamas. Do you know what she did? She took our ocean. She took our ocean. Beachfront property for miles is now desert front property. You're looking, people are walking out of their docks and they're dropping on to dry ground. And you're telling me the Red Sea didn't happen? All God did was pass Irma through the Red Sea and she just took them with it, took the the water with her. We're looking at the end times. Are you telling me that God's not trying to get our attention when we look in the middle of two hurricanes and an earthquake hits Mexico? Is not God saying to the world, I love you. You're not listening. I'm trying to get your attention. Is that not the context of the book of Revelation? I'll do anything to get your attention. I want you saved. Some of us have got a hard head. But God knows that sin will destroy us. And because he knows that sin will destroy us, he's going to do whatever it takes to get your attention. And he gets David's attention and look at David's response. So David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I've done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Did you read that? Did you see David's response? I I want to tell you something just because you've made a bad decision doesn't mean you have to live in it. Just because you've made a bad decision doesn't mean you have to live in it. God is not out to get you. He's patient. He's not going to strike you. He's going to do what he can to get your attention, but he's only getting your attention so that you can make a different kind of decision. And that's exactly what David chooses to do. Do you hear the heart of contrition? Do you hear his humble confession? Do you hear his ownership? Recently I went away on vacation, I came back, and there's two dents on the hood of my car. Two dents. So I asked the three drivers in my house. (laughs) I showed them the dents. I said, who did this? We didn't even know what happened. (laughs) What happened? Finally, one of my sons, he he knows I'm getting upset. He goes, I did it. And my daughter goes, don't confess to it just to end it. Who did this? No one knew. No one knew until my neighbor yesterday. My neighbor comes over and and goes to me, can you believe while you were gone on vacation, your kids tried to fit three cars in your two-car garage? (laughs) So I went up to the two dents, and I went up to the bike that's hanging on my wall. And I put the handlebars right up to the two dents. And sure enough, there are the handle mark prints. So I went to one of them today and I said, now do you want to confess or not? Confess to what? And then I explained. So my neighbor came over and told me that you guys tried to put three cars. (gasps) It was me. It was you. You get to pay for it. David didn't have to be caught in this particular one because he was caught with Bathsheba. And instead of letting a bad decision perpetuate, he chooses to end it, and he goes to God and he owns it. I did it i 'm wrong. I asked you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter seven. Would you turn there with me? Second Corinthians chapter seven. Second Corinthians chapter seven, we see a mode and a manner of repentance. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10, I want you to see what repentance looks like. For godly sorrow, first Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. In other words, there's a sorrow that the world has. It doesn't mean anything. There's a sorrow that leads to repentance and it's heavenly and it leads to forgiveness. Here's what it looks like because repentance has a look about it. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What a diligence it produced in you. In other words, I'm gonna do whatever I have to do to make this right, what clearing of yourselves? If I've done wrong like Zacchaeus, I'm gonna pay back four times. What indignation? I can't believe I made that bad decision. What fear? Oh God, forgive me. What vehement desire? What zeal? What vindication? Let me tell you, church, repentance has a look. It doesn't simply say, I'm sorry. Like Zacchaeus, it says, I'm going to pay back fourfold because Jesus gave his life for me. And sorry has gotten cheap in our generation. Repentance is sincere. Repentance drives home with my wife and says after that marriage conference, I'm a dummy. I'm sorry I got upset about what I did. Like, do you you want a diamond? Or like, what do I do, you know? (laughs) Oh, my wife. Oh, I paid, not with a diamond. Not really. She forgave me. And she acted a lot like Jesus. Because the Bible says... If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you make a bad choice, you don't have to stay there. Number three, love is forgiving. Love is forgiving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. All you have to do is go to him and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Jesus paid the price of your sin. If you've made a bad decision, all you have to do is go to him to make a right decision. Now, some of us don't like to go to him. Finally, number four, point number four, because love also disciplines. Love also disciplines. I want you to write that one down and I want you to say amen. None of you as parents would let your kids have a free-for-all. Why do we think that God in his grace should give us one? Love, someone said, preach it. (laughs) Love is a discipline. Let me tell you something. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, a father disciplines the son he loves. God loves us and he disciplines us because he wants us to give, he wants to give us instruction. So let's see what happens with David. Go back with me to 2 Samuel and I want you to see this discipline now that's going to come upon David in verse 11. Now, when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer saying, David, why didn't you go to Gad, man? He's a good guy. Why didn't you go to your your seer, your wise prophet person, because you wanted to make your own decision. You consulted yourself, and none of us will ever go to wisdom when we know it's not wise. So David doesn't choose to go to Gad. Gad comes to him and says, go and tell David. Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land, or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you, or shall you be three days plague, or should you be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. Love disciplines. Here's what happened. David made a choice without God and because God is just, God is forcing David to make a choice. There's a truth in scripture that I know none of us want to name and claim. What you sow, you shall reap. Someone say amen. Amen. You know what I've told my children? I can't wait for grandchildren what you have sown. And I have six wonderful grandchildren and I love going to my kids' house when they are going, Wah! and demonic imps are coming out of them. And I look at them and I say, ha ha, scripture fulfilled. <laughs> what you sow, you're going to reap. It's a truth of Scripture. David made a choice, and God is giving him a choice to make. Now, David's already had famine. He's over famine. David has run from his enemies most of his career. So he's like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. Let's take a look at David's response. Verse 14, and David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. In other words, I can't believe this is happening to me. Really? Please. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. You see, in Psalm chapter 51, we read something after David was caught with Bathsheba. He says, O Lord, have mercy on me. David had learned the mercy of God. David did not want to fall in the hand of man. David wanted to fall in the hand of God because God had built a testimony with David that he is a merciful God. You can't go around God's mercy. You can't go above it. You can't go below it. You can't go to the east of it. You can't go to the west of it. All you can do is run right into it if you choose to run to him. That is the extent of God's mercy. That's the extent of God's mercy. Now, you also can't escape God's justice. Take a look at verse 15. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time from Dan to Beersheba. 70,000 men of the people died. 70,000 men. 70,000 men Now, I don't want you to forget, would you go back to chapter 24? I ask you to circle the first word again, verse 1, chapter 24, verse 1, again. You see, the children of Israel, I told you, they'd done something. The children of Israel, I told you, we don't know what it was, but they did something that angered the Lord, and he had to get their attention. He had to remind them that he's God. Now, most scholars say that this was the rebellion of the children of Israel against David when Absalom came to town. Most scholars say it's partly because of the rebellion of Beechtree and how, how he caused many of the people of Israel to turn against David. And here God had blessed the kingdom of David. And here God had given uh, the, the, the children of Israel a king after God's own heart. But Absalom and Beechtree Tree, they, detru- they decide to rebel against David. Well, these people, after David came back into power, they just went back into their homes. They just went back into their towns. They thought they had gotten away with it. Now, we don't know what they did, but we know 70,000 of them that did it. Because here's the truth of Scripture. Be sure your sins will find you out. Be sure your sins will find you out. There's no indication of repentance of the rebellion. There's no indication that they turned to God. They thought we got away with it. And that's the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy to cause you to make a bad choice is this. You're the only one in the world that can get away with this. You can keep doing this. God doesn't even see. You can do it for nine months and 20 days. Think that you're getting away with it and taking advantage of of God's patience. But be sure your sins will find you out. And is it quite possible that God is only trying to get your attention even tonight? So I've gone to say there in verse 15, So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel. Seventy thousand men died. Verse 16, And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It's enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite. Remember, I told you this story is also repeated in First Chronicles chapter 21. And it's there that David sees the angel and him and the elders drop on the ground in worship. And where that census ended is where the angel ended. And God's unconditional love is displayed with an act of grace. The very people that should have died didn't. Now, how many of you have sinned before? Raise your hand. How many of you are grateful for the great grace of God in Jesus Christ? Because here's what God did. Each one of us deserved death. Each one of us deserved the angel of death to come upon our life. And God said to the angel because of Jesus, Stop. Don't do it. My grace is sufficient. So now it's your turn. Close with this. It's James chapter 4. I'll read it for you. James chapter 4. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Maybe you need to make a choice tonight to repent. David did. David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. So what choice do you make tonight? God's just trying to get your attention. He loves you. Just because you've made a bad decision doesn't mean you have to live in it. Father, I pray for Calvary Chapel South Bay. And I ask in Jesus' name, would you, by your power and by your grace, minister your blood over this place right now. Lord, I sense by your spirit there there are those that have made some bad decisions. And I want to pray for you right now. That's you. And like David, your heart has been struck. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I want you to pray for me. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to humble myself and say, I made a bad decision. I, I, I want some prayer. Yeah, I see, I see all of your hands. Keep, just keep them up. Just, it's an act of humility. This is ownership. This is contrition. This is humility. And the Bible says when we pray, we should lift up holy hands. So just in humility, keep your hand up to the Lord. And Jesus, I pray for each of these hands that are lifted. Bad decisions are part of life. And redemption is what you offer. So I pray, would you forgive us? Just ask him right now, with your hand up, just say, forgive me, Lord. And now I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give them wisdom. Because now we're crying out. And, and I want you to say "That's Lord. I need wisdom. I need wisdom from you. And my hand is lifted, Lord, in humility. And I pray that you'd bless this humility. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.